Welcome everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. If anyone's watching online, well, there's people watching online, but if you're watching online, you don't know who I am, who's this guy. Uh, I'm Paul, I'm the, the team lead pastor here at LCF. Um, I want to I thank you guys as well, those of you that are online, but if you've been watching online lately, we, you've seen that we've had various live streaming issues lately. Um, some of our challenges that we're having are, are really a result of sort of, we have entry level AV equipment um, for, for doing what we're doing. And, and we would really, we have a vision for live streaming um, to kind of go to the next step that we, where we'd like to go, really where we need to go long term um, as a body. And so, it would, and it would greatly improve the online experience. It would greatly improve um, the, the syncing of what we're doing here. And, and also, it's still, it's very user friendly for those operating it. So, saying all that, if you feel led to give, I'm serious about this. If the Lord has put it in your heart and you want to give specifically to this, uh, the price tag for that, what we need to do is about $7,000. And and that's kind of the next step. So um, I'm going to leave that there. We're going to, we're just going to trust the Lord what, what we need for that. Um, also, before I get going, I just want to uh, mention last Advent season, I put out a, a daily Advent meditation podcast. Uh, three to five minutes in length, really short sort of devotionals, all centered on Advent. Um, if you missed them last year, you didn't do it, or it's something you'd like to pick back up, you know, because after a year, a lot of it will still will be fresh again. I want to just encourage you, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, you can find us on Spotify uh, under LCF Landmark. The first one is actually up as of this morning, and every day we'll have a new Advent devotional podcast. Just to, the, the purpose of them is to stir longing an expectation in our hearts for Jesus during this time of year. And so something you can listen to on the way to work, something, you know, in your morning devotions, it's just a way to just kind of posture our hearts during this season. So we were coming to the end of this series this morning in the Beatitudes. So this, this is the last message um, on this message that we've uh, called the Kingdom Manifesto, Jesus coming and announcing his gospel, Jesus coming and announcing kind of what his kingdom is all about and what those who follow him, what is going to sort of define them as his followers as they follow his way. And ways that overthrow the ways of the world. And, and, and as we've seen, it's, it's in our surrender to Jesus's way and the embracing of his kingdom that produces these qualities or these characteristics in us, right? Again, we just want to keep reminding ourselves, it's not about our effort or that we have to try really hard or we have to somehow meet a mark in these things before we come to Jesus. It's as we are coming to Jesus that he's forming us. Oh, is that? No, I'm good. All right, so uh, it's as we pursue and seek Jesus that we are formed into his way. And so we're coming this morning to this last quality that Jesus speaks of. One that, that sort of puts all the others into perspective, if you will, and speaks of a word that I, I think, to be honest, we hardly know what to do with. And that is persecution. And what do we do about what Jesus says about persecution? So if you have your Bibles, you know, with me, Matthew 5. We're going to actually read three verses this morning, not one verse. So that's different. Um, 
and it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. So verse 10, Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely cite all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus, I want to ask that you would help us this morning to understand at a deeper level what you are speaking here. I want to pray that you would grip our hearts. I want to pray that you would open our hearts to receive this word and to receive it um, in the fertile ground of our hearts. Lord, we, we want to not ignore or avoid these types of words and these types of passages, but we want to embrace them. And we want to follow your way, Jesus. We want to ask you that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're speaking to us this morning. Jesus, help us. Pray you'd help me, Lord. I pray that the words that are not of you, Lord, I pray that, that those would not be spoken. I pray that the words that are of you, Lord, that those would really resonate with us this morning. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I worked with a guy a number of years ago who claimed to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, he also had some peculiar quirks about him, I'll say. Uh, he, he, he graded against people. Let's just put it that way. Uh, he, he was rude. He was insensitive. He was dogmatic. And he was at times just plain annoying. He, he kind of had a, a bit of a Dwight Schrute vibe, if you know what I mean. Any of you that are fans of The Office... He, he kind of, he was, he, he had that kind of vibe to him a little bit. I mean, and I'm not kidding, there was actually some at the time who thought that we, we were the material for the office. Our office that I was working in was the actual material for the office. But, but he, this guy, he wasn't afraid to tell people if their behavior at times, again, think about this, working in an office, he wasn't afraid at times to tell people if their behavior was sinful. He would just come right out and tell them, to say that to people. And even, even if his approach lacked any resemblance of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, he would just do this. Just boom, lay it out there. <laughs> and there was times I'd be like, whoa, you just do that? Like, you might be right, but whoa. <laughs> and, and so, of course, you can imagine he quickly, and I mean quickly, became a pariah in our office. Like, people just didn't want to be around him. People didn't really want to associate with him. And, he, and then he became a target for others because of this too. He, there was like a huge target on his back that he didn't even realize. Which then led to his assertion, I am being persecuted because of my beliefs. See how that works? And, and as the only, I was the only other person in this office who openly professed to follow Jesus. People knew that. So you can appreciate then how awkward this became for me. Because people are like, so like, he's a follower of Jesus, and you're a follower of Jesus? Oh, okay. And so I, I'll be honest. 
I was relieved when he was let go. I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> the point of that is how we understand the word persecution and its actual presence within the context that Jesus used it is important for us to embrace so that we don't claim it and apply it to circumstances in our lives that are actually something else. We, we want to live into God's reality and not into some other unreality that we've maybe created. And, and it's interesting, right, because Jesus ends here with a sort of double beatitude, actually. That's why we read three verses, because he doesn't, he chooses to repeat it and to restate it for us. And it's, it, I wonder, like, is it because it's the one that Jesus knows we'd rather not hear? Or is it because it was the one that Jesus himself felt the most? Or is it because we need to come to see that this will be reality if we follow Jesus' way? But, and it's interesting, too, because when you look at these verses, the first part is addressed to all of us. Do you want to uh, bring it back on the slide, Thomas? And, and Michaela, you can put that one up again in the scripture. It's, see, blessed are those. But then the second time he restates it, he says, blessed are you. He, he goes from everyone to now all of a sudden it's become personal. Now it's not just everyone. It's you. It's less just about the theory and about reality. And, and this is where the kingdom of God in our life becomes real. Because the way of Jesus is not a life absent of persecution. If, if we embrace the message of Jesus, if we embrace his kingdom, we will experience this verse in our life. Jesus doesn't suggest it might happen. Jesus says this will happen. It's, it's not... If. And, and I think we find this strange. We, we find this difficult. We are not equated in our world to equate hardship with blessing and goodness, which is what Jesus says here. We, we are conditioned, rather, to avoid rejection at all costs. We, we do not understand how being insulted, how being lied about and looked down upon can foster hope and joy within us. That's what Jesus says here. So we have to try and understand how is it possible to embrace this in our lives so that we don't misappropriate persecution when it's really something else. So the question then that we need to ask is why was Jesus persecuted? And then that question also then goes to why will we be persecuted? Because Jesus tells us, as my followers, you're, you're going to be persecuted. So first, Jesus and we will be persecuted for being righteousness. Jesus says here, he says, this persecution is because of me. It's because of him. It's because of our desire for righteousness that persecution comes. And, and remember, when we go back to that beatitude, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness is all about right relatedness, all about our right relationship with God. That's really what righteousness means. It's about being in right relationship with 
Jesus. So John 15, 18 to 20, Jesus says there a couple different things. He says to his disciples, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Then he goes on to say, If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So this, this calls us to embrace what persecution really is. It's because of Jesus. It's on account of living for him and our unwillingness to compromise our relationship with him, our right relatedness to him. So it's, it's become a bit of the norm for Christians in the West to claim persecution for all manner of things. Right? When, when they think it might be politically or socially advantageous, it might provide them with justification for their reactions or give meaning to a chaotic world. There's, we are quick at times to just claim persecution, persecution. And, and the arrival of COVID has seen far too much of this, especially, I will say, amongst evangelicals. What we are experiencing right now, I'll just say it, is not persecution because of righteousness. It's, it's not. And, and it, it may, what we're experiencing right now may be inconvenient, it might be discriminatory, it might be unjust, but it is not persecution because of Jesus. And, and yet, there's church leaders, there's pastors taking advantage of these days claiming persecution, they're doing it to grow their numbers, they're doing it to grow their financial giving, in, giving, they're doing it to grow their status or their influence, their social media presence, whatever it is. They're, they're claiming things that don't line up with what the Word says. And, and there seems to be a contingent of people within the evangelical church whose ears want to hear that type of message. We're being persecuted. To claim persecution to explain our loss of comfort, to our loss of preferences, or even our definition of freedom is not what Jesus is referring to here. So we've got to be careful not to intertwine democracy and our definition of freedom with the kingdom of God. Because they're not the same thing. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns us against a preoccupation with material desires and comfort in our lives. He says, rather, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, his righteousness. So we need to assess our perspectives and motivations with integrity. Jesus says those who are in pursuit of right relatedness with him and desire his righteousness, those are the ones, he says, who are in sync with my kingdom. Those who are culturally insensitive as they bear witness, those who are narrow-minded and dogmatic, not those who are operating within a victim complex, those are not the ones in sync with the kingdom of heaven. It's because of Jesus, he says, it's because of me that this persecution comes, because of me. And when persecution comes, as his followers, we're, we, we're called to embrace the same posture, the same character of Jesus that we see embodied in these Beatitudes. This is how we react to persecution. 
When you, when you speak to church leaders or you hear church leaders from other countries uh, where the gospel, where it's close to the gospel, where people are beaten, put in prison, or even killed for even mentioning the name of Jesus, when you, when you hear them speak and you talk to them, they say, we, we, do not, we have no desire to be like the Western church. We have no desire that, that persecution would end and we would become like that. They, they, they say stuff rather like the Western church is asleep. Or I heard another pastor say, Western culture is being put to sleep in a demonic lullaby. They, 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 they want nothing to do with this culture. Jesus reveals the perfect righteousness that he embodies. And it's experienced by all of us who are unrighteous, right, as either a blessing or a threat. If, if we admit our unrighteousness, we admit our need for right, this right relationship with God, then we embrace this as, this is incredible truth for us. But, he, but here's the thing. We, we don't instinctively want this most of the time, actually. It, we, we don't. Instinctively, we would rather avoid facing our sin, we'd rather avoid facing our brokenness and rebellion, our unrighteousness, and so when we do that, then we tend to respond to, to Jesus' way as a threat. And the reason is because perfect righteousness calls for change. It calls for repentance. It calls for healing. It, it, it exposes sin in us and goes, we, we need healing. You know, our, our Advent reading this morning from Isaiah 42 spoke of God's servant being called in righteousness and to open eyes that are blind, to be a light for all people. Jesus is light. In him, there is no darkness. We either let the light heal us or we try to get rid of the light or we try to ignore the light. And... and the question, this is one of the questions that I, I come out of from this. Why would we reject the one who heals us? Why would we reject the one who sets us free? Why would we reject the one who brings goodness? Why do so many reject that? Perhaps it's because the world actually isn't seeing much of Jesus through us. There's also, though, I mean, that's, that could be part of it. The other part of it is there's also the reality where Jesus says in John 3.19 that the light has come into the world and the people loved darkness instead of light. They, they actually want that, rather. Flattery O'Connor, she, she had a great quote. She said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you odd. Second reason Jesus and his followers, us, are, will be persecuted. That is for doing righteousness. So the first one's for being righteousness. Second one is for doing righteousness. Mark Sayer, he's an Australian pastor. He, uh, he's the one who wrote Reappearing Church, um, a book that continues to impact me and just can, kind of continues to reverberate in me throughout the whole kind of last almost two years we've been walking through. But he also does this podcast called Rebuilders of uh, their church that specifically is focused on how leaders and churches approach the changing culture and the influence all around us in the world. And, and recently he was commenting 
on the state of the West, the Western culture in the last 20 to 30 years. And he was talking about how it's, it's a time like no other in history that we have come to regard as normal. Like, and, and 30 years, when you think about 30 years, that's a long enough time to influence and shape people into ways of thinking and behaving. So we have, his point was, we, in the last 20 to 30 years, the, the level of freedom, wealth, affluence, comfort, convenience, it is like no other time in all of human history. And, and it's due to all sorts of societal factors, technology, low interest rates actually have a huge part of that, how people are, are simply spending and living, etc. But and, and when he was talking about this, I, I, was, I was startled at first, because I was like, I started to think about, like, really? Like, he, he, he began to talk about how this is this myth that we've been living in. And I, I started thinking about my, about my life and, and growing up as a, as a child in the 80s. But I thought, yeah, like, even in the 1980s, there was way more unsettledness in our world than there is there was in the last 20 to 30 years. We had the Cold War that was going on. That was a huge thing. The geopolitics of the 80s and the 70s and how that was playing with people. There was far less wealth in the world. There was far less money being spent by just general public. The world was very, very different. Technology hadn't really, I mean, obviously hadn't caught up to where we're at right now. And, and one of his observations in this is that we have lived in this little golden age era in the last 20 to 30 years that, and, and COVID has provided this worldwide shift that we are still coming to grips with because of this, because it is shifting everything. And, and when he, he was making the point that the world is reverting back to what it has been for most of human history. And that is a far more chaotic and conflicted world than we have been led to think and often way more complex than we've ever thought it was. Because we have lived so comfortably and convenience at our fingertips for decades now. And this is, we've become to think this is, the world is just gonna get better and better and better. It's gonna get better, safer, more affluent, more wealthy. I, maybe you're like me and I, I hear that and I go, I, I gotta process this because like the book of Hebrews says, there's a lot of shaking going on. And we're having to come to grips with this. And it can be far easier than we realize to equate our desire, our expectation, and our experience of the good life as defined by the Western culture as being representative of the kingdom of God. We, we are far more prone than we realize to equate our health, our comfort, and our wealth with God's blessings and therefore conclude that his kingdom purposes align with our expectations for the increase of the good life in our lives. And what scripture reveals against that in a way, what scripture reveals is that Jesus' presence and the working of his kingdom, it actually really disturbs the status quo. As we've said throughout this series, Jesus' way overthrows the world's way. It's not even because Jesus was purposely coming on the scene and trying to rock the boat. He, he wasn't. 
is simply that doing righteousness in an unrighteous world will always cause problems. Always. Jesus' way automatically challenges that which is out of sync with his kingdom. This is where Jesus says persecution will come. This is what will cause it. When our commitment is to Jesus' way and being in sync with his way, when that confronts the sin and the brokenness of a world that is out of sync with his way, there is problems. So, if our standard of living, if our expectations, if our comfort are being shaken due to external factors, it does not mean actually that this is all out of sync with God's way or his kingdom and his purposes that he's working. I don't think anyone wants to think about the fact that the last 20 to 30 years that we've lived in has been more of an anomaly than the norm. I don't think we want to think about that. But God's purposes for our lives, God's purposes for the nations, God's purposes for this earth are very different than what secular ideologies propose and the influence of those ideologies that we tend to believe, the ones that influence us. God's purposes are very, very different. And so this relative eve that we ease that we've experienced for most of our lives, being seriously challenged by the pandemic and its impact, may have allowed us to ignore the fact that the coming of God's kingdom on this earth results in this ongoing confrontation with the kingdoms of this earth. There is this ongoing confrontation that maybe we've just been able to kind of forget exists and God's going, no, 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 it's real. It's really real. And so while all of this, this all impacts our perspectives and lives way more than we realize. This isn't just about geopolitics. This isn't just about ideological positions. It's not that. It's about the doing of righteousness being worked out in our lives. Doing righteousness is about our day-to-day real-life interactions and behavior. This is what Jesus encountered all the time. And, and Jesus, he revealed a righteousness that wasn't based on behavior, wasn't based on image, but it was based on relationship and it was based on grace. It was offensive because it was grace that said, you're not making it on your own. You'll never make it on your own. You need me. And, and so this grace overthrows our pride and the pride of this earth and this world that says, we're just going to do it our way. I'm going to do it my way. And Jesus says, you can't. You actually can't. Doing righteousness is what, how we interact and conduct ourselves in our work, in our running of our businesses, going to school, do we see our actions and responses in these places as being connected to our relationship with Jesus and to his kingdom and to his purposes? So when I was leading a sales team years ago, uh, one, of, one of the responsibilities I had was I had to set contract pricing and I had to bill um, contracts and, and material for customers. And, and there was opportunities for me 
at times to, to just raise the price a little bit incrementally to, to increase the gross margin of the company in a way that big companies, you know, big contracts, they, they wouldn't notice. Some of their purchasers probably wouldn't even care because it really didn't affect them. And so they'd be, oh yeah, 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 that's fine. And, and it was a way to kind of raise the numbers a little bit, but do it in a way that wasn't completely above board. But you could do it. And, you know, you go, what's the big deal? Like there's a hundred ways you could justify this. It's, it's you, you, all sorts of matters of way that you could excuse doing this. And I, and I would have disagreements with some of my sales reps who this is the way we have done it. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. And they're like, well, why wouldn't you do that? I said, because that's, that's not walking with integrity and righteousness for me. And they didn't understand it. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I can't do it. The systems of this world have value systems that potentially as followers of Jesus, we will upset. Agreed upon ways of doing business that cut corners, but are you know, mutually beneficial. Padding expense accounts a little bit here. Padding mileage accounts a little bit here. Ultimately, a lot of it just driven by greed. Think of, think of Jesus and the demon-possessed man in Mark 5 where after setting him free from demonic possession, a man that had all these demons tormenting him, he sets him free. And Jesus, he, he allows the demons, he grants the request to go into the pigs. And all these, these 2,000 pigs then, they go down the hillside and they drown. And, and what's the reaction of the people of that region? They're incensed. They, they could care nothing that Jesus had set this man free. In fact, they had been totally fine with him kind of being off in the wilderness of their region, tormented. They could care less. Our pigs are doing well. Our market's doing well. As soon as Jesus upset that, they kicked him out of the region. They said, no, no, you got to go. Jesus had upset their value system. Third reason that Jesus and his followers will be persecuted for speaking righteousness. So it's being righteousness, doing righteousness, and speaking righteousness. Jesus spoke about righteousness or right-relatedness a lot. Follow, when he says, follow me, that's a command. It, we, we like to, out of our desire to be winsome with the gospel, we, we sort of propose it a lot as an invitation because we want people to experience Jesus. But actually follow me was a command. It was more of literally meant here, behind me. You need to get behind me. You need to follow me. So think about this. Who is this guy who thinks that he can walk into someone's life and basically say, you need a complete change of agenda in your life? This is what Jesus does. Consider the I am claims that Jesus made, the, the ones that we preached through earlier this year. Just a few of them, think about them. I am the door. Enter only through me. I am the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing, nothing. I am the bread of life. You need me more than you need your next meal. Whoa. And the thing about this is that Jesus didn't hype himself. 
He didn't try to explain or justify himself. He just matter-of-factly stated, this is who I am. Follow me. So I think we can then, we, we see out of that, amidst a culture of pluralism and tolerance, okay, well, not really, right? We're tolerant until we're intolerant of what we don't want to be tolerant of. Confused yet? But we're, but we're tolerant. Okay. Think in, in a culture like that, Jesus' words about himself, they, it overthrows a lot of assumptions that people make about God, about life, about ourselves. And you can see where if we're going to hold to this, people are going to make, well, you're intolerant. You're just full of intolerance. What do you mean? What do you mean this is the only way? But it, it actually has nothing to do with intolerance. It has everything to do with righteousness, or again, right relatedness and faithfulness to Jesus. It's about relationship with him above all else. It, it's Jesus made the claims. We don't. Jesus made them. And, and this is the thing, right? What are we supposed to do? I, I mean, are we, are we to make his words a little bit more palatable to the culture? Let's, let's just soften them a little bit. Are we, are we supposed to apologize for them? Are we supposed to comply with the spirit of the age and deny what Jesus says? Be far easier to do that and avoid all persecution. Absolutely. Is our conviction to remain faithful to Jesus no matter what? Like, like no matter what? Not, no, no matter what. No, no matter what. No matter what. While, and this is the thing we've got to grasp, while we walk in humility, while we walk in meekness, while we walk in mercy, and as we walk as peacemakers. Not, right? There's a posture to this that goes, we're not going to compromise, but our posture is this. So we, we as Carlin mentioned, we were serving at Lighthouse on Friday evening. And at the end of the night, one of the Teen Challenge guys I had uh, previously kind of been visiting with him a little bit throughout the night, and he came up to me right at the end, and he says, uh, he says, what? I had no idea that you were a pastor. And I said, oh, he said, well, he said, I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to introduce myself as that all the time. He says, oh. And now, imagine if someone came up to you, though, and said, you're, you're a follower of Jesus? Really? I had no idea. Not you go to church or you're religious. Those have lots of cultural assumptions, right? Being known as a follower of Jesus is something different, I would propose. What if someone came up to you and said that? You're, you're a follower of Jesus? I didn't know that. That should grieve me. That should grieve me. If someone come and say that to me. Are we known as followers of Jesus first and foremost above anything else? 
And Jesus says that will mean persecution in your life. Okay, this is where I want to come this morning. And that is the question, why do we embrace this persecution in our lives then? I think that's a question that people ask. I think it's a question probably is all going through our minds at times. Why would I embrace this? And, and, and I want to end with that question, but before I do, there is a way that we can avoid all this persecution. Right now, there is a way. As long as we keep the kingdom stuff in the private, personal realm, we can avoid conflict. And, and I, I wrestle with this being seen as judgmental, and that is not at all, this is not my intent. I do not, this is not meant to be judgmental. But we've got to get to the reality of what we're facing and where we're at. And that is, I, I feel compelled in myself to warn us against mindsets that embrace the nice, safe, affluent, comfortable, convenient Christian life. And there is such a thing. There are many, many parts of the New Testament that warn us against embracing that in our lives. It doesn't, no, having something, it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy our lives. It doesn't mean that we can't own nice things. It doesn't mean that we can't desire good things, right? We have to be careful that we're not judging in this. But when we are willing to compromise allegiance to Jesus, and his way to maintain our comfort, to feed other desires, to avoid uncomfortable conversation, to deny the reality of suffering, etc., etc. That is something else than what Jesus calls us to do and to be. That, that is something else. Now, the thing is, if we're not really convinced that the way of Jesus is the only way, like the way of true life, the way of true joy. This is the only way. If we're not convinced about that and settled about that, yeah, we're, we're going to struggle with this. We are going to really struggle with these verses and probably rather just not spend a whole lot of time dwelling on them. But if we embrace this as truth, Jesus says it will result in you being misunderstood. It will result in you being persecuted. So then you go, why would we embrace this? No, but like seriously, why, like why would we embrace this? Why, why not just take stage right? Yeah, stage right. And the easy way out. And I would say the reason is because we have met Jesus. Because we have experienced and continue to experience his life and we know that there is nothing else that is like it and that this is reality and that this is the way of the kingdom that we, we've experienced him as the way the truth and the life the only way so we, we've seen jesus as worthy of surrendering our lives for We've seen him as the ultimate treasure the scripture speaks of above all else. That, that he, is, he is the treasure worth giving everything for. And we can hold to the promises of these verses, right? There's promises here in these verses that we can hold to. Think of the promises here that Jesus says. He says, we will inherit 
He, he like he bookends these the Beatitudes where it began with you will inherit the kingdom of heaven, and he bookends it with you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's and, and it's actually in some ways he's saying it's already yours because it's breaking into your life. You are experiencing the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That is what you will receive. Our reward is life with Jesus. The reward is we know God. We know God. We can rejoice, Jesus says. We can be glad. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 7, 22 to be exact, Jesus speaks of those who have called him Lord and claim to have achieved many things in his name. And yet Jesus says, I never knew you. Later in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus says in the last days, he says, the love of many will grow cold. Those are sobering things not to be ignored. Jesus is reminding us, it's, it's, it's not about what we accomplish. It's not about the image that we project. He says, it's about staying close to me. It's about relationship. It is about light relatedness to me. That's what will define our lives. And so as we, as we come to the end of this series, um, I, I believe that the focus on the Beatitudes this fall for us is significant, really significant when it comes to our apprenticeship to Jesus and to his way. Some, something profound for us to be embracing and being Beatitude people. I, I believe that Jesus' heart for us is that we would be a people that are known as a Beatitude people. The people would look at us and go, that those people, there's something there that I, I want. Now, there's hard things in this, right? Like this isn't all just great sunshine and rainbows, it's all good. There's hard things in this. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. The way of Jesus is dying to self. It's embracing, embracing the posture of Jesus, sacrifice, surrender, humility. That, that is, that's the way. I want to end with this. I want to, uh, I read this quote from Henry Nowen. Um, it was actually in our, our devotional. It's part of our EHS course that we're walking through. I was just really gripped by this quote. And he, he says, the way of the Christian leader, and I, and I would say the way of every follower of Jesus is not the way of upward mobility in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending on the cross. Powerlessness and humility in the spiritual life do not refer to people who have no spine and then let everyone make decisions for them. They refer to people who are so deeply in love with Jesus that they are ready to follow him wherever he guides them, always trusting that with him they will find life and find it abundantly. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Like, like that, that encapsulates, I thought, the gospel but the Beatitudes so well. This is the way. 
So I want to end, I uh, want to give you some questions again as a, a way for us to, to apply this and walk this out in our lives. Four questions this morning. Because again, I think that, you know, I'll admit, I think there's a tendency even where, you know, we can read these verses and I go, I, I, okay, even like I'll, I'll preach on these and then let's just get, let's move past this. Let's, 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 you know, I don't, I don't know if I really want to dwell on persecution. I don't know if I really want to think about this in my life. And that's where I think the Lord's saying, you have a call. Like, this is part of following my way. So first question, how do I feel about Jesus' words about persecution? Do I believe these words? Do I embrace them? Do I ignore them? Do I reject them? So again, this is inviting you into dialogue, right? In, in with the Lord and, and assessing where am I at, how's my heart doing, allowing the Lord to speak to us too. Have I experienced a situation where being, doing, or speaking righteousness has cost me something? Three, where might God be allowing or even causing uncomfortable situations in my life to form me to be more like Jesus? And four, how has Jesus been speaking to me and working transformation in me through these Beatitude messages? Kind of a way to wrap this up. How, how has the Lord been speaking to us? How has he been changing and working in us over these, these last number of weeks? All right, Chris, if you want to come up, let's, let's pray together. Let's just ask the Lord to, to do all that he wants to do in us through this. Father, I want to thank you for these words. I want to thank you for the Beatitudes. I want to thank you for the way that, that they have been impacting and changing, transforming us. Lord, I know that they've been speaking to me. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that desire and that hunger to be, to want to be Beatitude people. To be people who are following your way and who are being transformed into your image more and more and more. Jesus, we thank you for your example. We thank you for the way that you embody this for us. We thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit is at work in us right now, in these days, transforming us, making us to be more and more like you. And we pray for more of that in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.